The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website at www.upc.org forward slash university. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 47th and 16th in Seattle's U District. I want to introduce you to who's going to be sharing from the word tonight. A guy that is like you because he went to college right here in Seattle about uh, two decades or so ago. Uh, He went to the University of Washington and graduated. He lived in the Greek system here. He's like many of you because he has a long history with Young Life. In fact, one of my favorite things to do with Steve is to drop any name that I've ever heard of in Young Life. And it turns out Steve knows him. It's pretty remarkable. So play the do you know Young Life game with Steve following the service. Uh, But ultimately, what I am really excited about with uh, our speaker tonight is, is my friendship with him started just a few few months ago, and Steve is one of those guys that when you meet him for the first time, he's one of those guys that you feel like you've known for years, if not decades. I feel like I went to school with Steve. He's just a guy that I've loved hanging out with, similar heart, uh, similar passions, and somebody that I'm really excited for you to hear from tonight as the inn is Young Life College, and Young Life College is the inn, a, a partnership that we're really excited about. So please get to know and join me in welcoming my friend, Steve Blacksmith. Hey, um, I'll tell you what, that's great. Um, I did two some decades ago. We'll just leave it at that. They, st- they gave out degrees then. They look older, which is nice because you look smarter that way. So um, how many of you here, anybody here ever been involved with Young Life? Anybody at all? Just, just a couple of you. That's fantastic. Now, separate, put your hands down. Anybody here, you don't have to be involved with Young Life. Anybody here, it's your first time here to the internet. Raise your hands. Okay, we won't. That's fantastic. That's awesome. <laughs> So now afterwards, if it's your first time here, you know, and you were sitting next to somebody who's their first time here, you need, you know, just kind of go around them and say hi. That'd be fantastic. And if everybody runs to, the, you know, those 22 people, they're going to be really scared and never come back. So just be subtle. It's nice. <laughs> hey, here's the thing. It would be difficult for me to explain to you just how excited I am to be back in uh, Western Washington to be back ministering in Seattle. We spent uh, 10 years in Port Orchard, my wife and I, after we got married, went on Young Life staff, in Port of I Orchard. It's a beautiful resort town. It's great. And then uh, we went from there to another resort town that's a little bit more well-known, to Tucson, Arizona for eight years. And, uh, and they're all right. And believe you me, the day after the Wildcat lost to the Huskies, it was really, really fun to be me, okay? And... <laughs> But uh, last week they got back at me. Anyhow, um, but uh, I really can't explain to you because it's my life kind of full circle. It's really a weird thing to be here ministering with the inn with Young Life College because that's so much of the influences in my life. Brian Petermeyer. How many of you met Brian? He's one of our fine interns. Just a fantastic person. Brian's dad, Steve, was my Young Life leader. I remember when Brian was born, okay? And so it's just this weird deal. It's just fantastic. He was really cute, you know? But uh, (laughs) cried a lot, pooped even more. But anyhow, uh, I think he's gotten over that. But uh, I, I really, again, it'd be hard. It's just, it's so natural for me to be back here in Seattle. All of our families here, none of our, when we moved to Arizona, we were the only 
living relatives on either side of the family that had moved out of the state of Washington. We took the only grandchildren in the family. They're just now getting over that, the grandparents. But now we've come back. I can't tell you how excited I am. But I, but I think, I think I might be able to show you how excited I am to be back in the Husky Nation. Just take a look at, take a, take a look over there. <laughs> that's not me. That's another guy. Um, that was after the USC game. It was on my birthday, okay? All week long, all week long, I had said to anybody who was within shouting distance, man, would I like to go see the Huskies beat USC for my birthday, okay? And so, because subtlety is not good when you want something. So, anyhow, uh, I told everybody, turns out my wife and a couple of my friends were trying to figure out, okay, who's going to take them? And then another buddy called and said, hey, do you want to go to the Husky game, you know, on your birthday? Yes, I do. Thanks for noticing. So, I mean, who was there? Anybody there at that game? Okay. But here's the thing. And this, what's amazing is this will actually link into the scripture we're looking into tonight. Because you have grown up in a time, my friends, when the law, the, just the great Husky victories are, they're only two, they're stories. They might as well be scripture written down on funny paper. You can't remember. Do you know who Steve Entman is? Do you even do, do you know who Mario Bailey is? Do you remember Don James? Okay. But, but maybe if you have good parents, the kind that want to connect you to the past, they've told you of the stories. But you can only hope. And that's why it just was built up within me. And if you didn't hear what I said there when he stuck the mic in my mouth, he said, did you think this would happen? I said, well, I hoped it would. But here's what I know. Today, order was restored in the football universe. Because... I thought about this because my kids had always, they'd been born in a world where the Huskies were always in the bottom third of the back ten. <laughs> and that is so not right, okay? And so I know now we've we got a few bumps and bruises along the way a little bit, but I'm telling you, something's changed now. Don't make me preach because I will if I need to. But, but, but something has changed. And it was really exciting. And what was great was when I got home to just, it's so fantastic to have a supportive family like I do. Because my kids had seen me on TV. And I wasn't like five minutes away from the stadium when people started texting and Facebook. And they're like, dude, you were just on TV. Or was that you? There was a guy that looked like you, only older. Thanks, I hate that guy. Defriended him. <laughs> you know, uh, my favorite one was the guy said, you, ha- you actually had something to say. I just was afraid that I would say, ah. Uh, and I'm like, I looked at it later. And I was like, yeah, mine was just a little bit high, you know, more highly evolved. Ah. Uh, but anyhow, I get home and my kids go, Dad, you're the biggest doofus in the whole world, okay? <laughs> but here's the sweet deal, because my, friend, my kids are friends of mine on Facebook, and so later that night, I saw my oldest son, 15-year-old JD. I saw his Facebook post, and it said this, so sick. Now, he is 15. So sick. The Huskies beat USC, and my dad was on TV afterwards. How do you like that, huh? So, see? so I know he can pretend, but he wants to be just like me. That's what I know. <laughs> Anyhow, here's the thing. Let me introduce you a little bit to my family. I have some pictures up there. I I do so for uh, one very important reason. I think that to understand, as we talk tonight about further in this series that Ryan has begun and Janie um, spoke last week so awesomely, just this sense of this struggle, this tension we live in, and man, nobody more than you all, this tension between (laughs) doubt and certainty. Excuse me, doubt and... Um, and faith, and that we want to seek, we want to seek faith 
over certainty. So I just absolutely butchered that beginning. But you know what the series is. It's great. Anyhow, it's called Doubters Anonymous. But this tension that we live in right now, everything that I know about the God of the universe and how God has loved me comes through the context of how God began to, I began to respond to God's love right here at the University of Washington. And my family are the greatest example I know of not the good things that I would ever deserve, but the fact that God absolutely loves me, counts me among, tied with you, his favorite. Looks at me and says, you're my beloved. And when I look at my family, I know that. Because they're good, and I'm not. God has been good to me, not because I deserved it. And critical in this path that I'm still on in terms of questions and fear and sometimes even anger with God is something solid that I can see that God has been faithful. Even if I forget the husky winds of old, I will not forget his faithfulness to me and my family. You know, that's my wife right there, Heather. She is to me, don't care what anyone else thinks, the prettiest girl in the world. Um, She always has been. And um, when I met her, I just remember thinking, I, it, less, less eloquent than what I was in the Husky game. I just was like, ah. Yeah. I just, I was a dork. I didn't know what to say. I'd invite her. I was a Kaisai down the fraternity down here. And I, I'd invite her down to, to like a barbecue down there. She was a Chi Omega. And so I'd say, come on down to the barbecue. And then she would say to me, like, you'd invite me down. And then you'd run away. It's like, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Scary. <laughs> so... Anyhow, I got over that after like two years, but um, we're actually at Malibu, which is where we met. Um, I was speaking at a family camp there, and this is pretty much sums up our relationship. Total dork, and she loves me anyhow. It's sweet. So, um, But we met at Malibu, and here's the thing. For those of you considering something over spring break, one of the options is this college work week up at uh, up Malibu. And for some of you, that's a place that's significant. It's where your spiritual life even began. For others, you're like, I've always wanted to go there. When we met at College Work Week, I was returning to the place where I would made a commitment to God and had totally backed out on it. And it was time to go back and say, I really mean it. At the same time, my wife had always heard about Malibu and had never gone in high school. And she became a follower of Jesus Christ that week um, while we were up at Malibu. And we met there. So it was pretty cool. So not, we fast forward a little bit because uh, uh, we, I got over being too shy and we had kids. Okay, And so uh, <laughs> what happens here? And... And, and you'll do this too. When your kids, if you have kids, if God bless you with kids, you'll have to trick them when they get older into going to the pumpkin patch. So everybody was going up that day. And I have three, three sons. JD, down there on the, on the bottom right, is 15 years old. Uh, he's just about six foot five. And so uh, he's been taller than me since seventh grade. And I remember in seventh grade saying, you know, I can, I can yell up just as good as I can yell down. Okay, so, and he's been cool about that. He's firstborn, he's just, he follows what we say. It's great. And then in the middle there, Drew, trying to sprout up to six feet. He's 13 years old, he's about 5'10". He's a great little feller. Um, and you can see they're wearing their husky stuff right there, right? And then we had an Arizona baby. And Cole, uh, Cole Henry Blacksmith is the delight not only of my life, but of just a lot of people that get to know him because he is seven going on like 15. And so he's the coolest kid in first grade, and it's really not even close. He came home after uh, this first day of kindergarten last year and he said, hey, I made a new friend today. I said, what's his name? He goes, it starts with an A. And uh, my, my son Drew said, you need to know the kid's name to be a friend. He goes, Drew, you don't need to know their name to be their friend. So, and I said, well, how, how did you make friends with him? And he said, he said, I said to him, would you like to hear my beatbox? 
I said, what did he say? And he goes, he didn't say anything. But I figured he wanted me to. <laughs> so that's pretty much him. So he, you know, he, got, he became friends with Ansel, by the way. And that's a tough name, let's be honest. So anyhow, those are my kids. That's my life. They love me and they have taught me a lot. But in turn, I have this responsibility to them to bring them up in a, in, in, to know and love or at least be aware of the love of God. Um, I grew up in a family that loved me, but I didn't know about this God of the universe. For anybody who's like me, who gave their life to Jesus Christ, maybe involved in a thing like Young Life, all of a sudden then you grow if you're following Christ for the rest of your life. Now you're raising your kids in a household that's different than the one you have. My kids know way more Bible stories than me and stuff, and sometimes they're just a little too churchy for me, but it's okay. But they're learning the same thing. And particularly as I see my older kids now, they're, they're beginning to stretch into that place where... It's not just mom and dad's faith, but what do I believe? Well, you are smack dab in the middle of that. If you were here on the first night of the end, I got to pray just a blessing over freshmen. And I said, hey, welcome to the land that you've always wanted since you were a little kid. The land where nobody's the boss of you. There's good news to that. And there's really difficult things with that as well. That's where actually the people of Israel find themselves in the story that we're going to go through tonight in the book of Judges. And just to bring you from where Janie left us with the story of Moses, and here's this great leader who had doubts, but God showed up and changed what Moses' situation was because God, I am who I am. I will be who I will be. God showed up and changed Moses' situation and also his sense of belief towards God. Wonderful things happened then. God took his chosen people out of Israel, out of slavery, brought them into this land that they didn't earn, but brought them to this place. And the, where we're going to pick up tonight is just after, there's another book after that, um, after this whole phase of things that Moses kind of went through, and then some of his children and other children, to this guy named Joshua, that reminded his people of what God had done. And then they walked away. They walked away from the God of their fathers and mothers and said, we're going to live on our own. And so Joshua says, all right, this is it. I'm going to tell you just how it is. I think we have actually some scripture up there. Uh, the next, next slide says, at the end of this is just a transition into the book of Judges that we're going to take a look at tonight in the story of Gideon. At the beginning uh, or at the end of the book of Joshua, and maybe some of you have seen this before. God's brought them into this place that they don't deserve. says, you're drinking wine from grapes that you didn't plant, and I've, I've given you this place. It's not because of who you are. Sound familiar? It's because of who God is. That's where I find myself in life when I really think about it. But, same place. Here's Joshua. Joshua says this, Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your forefathers worshipped beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you'll serve whether you're the gods your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're now living. But as for me and for my household, we will serve the Lord. Anybody have that up like on something in their house or like a little, you, got a little, you walk into someone's house and it's kind of over the doorway. There's a reason for that. Actually, if you take a look at the next slide here, the, it, I think it's, it's one of the most commonly, it's put on little, you know, people sell it at crafts, things, and the people put it over the door and you walk in and say, oh, it's a Christian house, that's a beautiful thing. Um, it's really, it's to commemorate what God has done. And it's a little bit of saying what Joshua said there. Basically, after he said, choose for yourself who you, you'll serve, they said, we want to serve God. And Joshua said, no, you don't. You're saying that, but you won't do it. You'll start walking around and serving other gods, and you'll invent gods, because that'll be fun for you. And then you'll serve them too. You won't serve the God who's given you life 
who's given you freedom and desires to be in relationship with you, but you'll serve everything else. They said, no, 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 we'll serve God. And he says, really? I'm going to stack a bunch of rocks here. And these rocks are going to be a witness against you. We're going to make this little pile right here that says there's a covenant that says that if ever you go back on that, these rocks will they're literally like cry out and say, you're a liar. You said you'd follow God, but you didn't. It's a covenant that they made. They made a little altar and a place to just remember it. You know what? We need things to remember. And so we put things over our door frames as well. The next slide, there's a picture of this place called Malibu. And how many of you have been to Malibu in your lives? And anybody else who's been to a different Young Life property? Anybody who's ever been to a a weekend at a church camp anywhere that they go, oh, it was so awesome. I just loved it. You know what? Most of us can remember the place, and it's really awesome, the place where we interacted for the first time with the God of the universe and realized, oh, there's a God. And God loves me. Well, here's the funny thing is that whether it's at Malibu or at, at some other camp or in your living room with your grandma and grandpa talking to you about the good news that Jesus loves you, you'll remember where it is. It's a little notch. It's a little thing to say, this was real. God gives us those great memories. But sometimes, even though we were really sincere and honest, We make a pledge to God, and then we back out on it. What happens to a person when they back out on a promise to God? Well, you and I could probably fill that story in pretty well, because everybody has. For each and every one of us has sin in our lives, brokenness. We've missed the mark. What happens when a people turn their back on God? That's the story of the book of Judges. It's in between. Historically, it's the time in between God had done all this great thing and between there and when they have their first king, when Saul's king for them. It's a time where they're wandering around without a king, trying to figure out what should they do. And mostly, people left to their own devices make some decently poor decisions along the way. And that's what happened here. The Ebenezer is this term, and it, it means this. It's, it's a Hebrew term. It means stone of help, or thus far the Lord has helped us. So the idea was they were making this commemoration, this Ebenezer that says, God helped us right here. God has been our help, and we'll remember it. I, there's a wonderful song, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, and in the middle of it has this line that says, Here I raise my Ebenezer. To be, okay, no lie. Okay, again, didn't grow up in the Christian home. <laughs> So when I was here in college, we'd sing that song here at the end every now and again, and I thought it was a drinking song, okay? I just figured. So I assumed an Ebenezer was a big old mug. <laughs> here I raise my Ebenezer. And so about 33, I figured out that wasn't the case at all. <laughs> I like the song even more now, but here's the thing. We raise these Ebenezers. We make pledges to God. Sometimes we back on it, but God is faithful to us. As you're somewhere in the midst of this struggle of the faith that others have grown up in you or that you're maybe just now for the first time considering, you're somewhere in between there and it really truly becoming your own, there's a lot of opportunities for you to make pledges to God and sometimes back out on them. But God will always be faithful to his promise to you. It matters more what God says about us, not what we say to God, even if we change our minds. If you take a look, um, we're going to jump then into the next slide, really wraps up the end of Joshua and leads us into Judges. And it says this, Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had experienced everything the Lord had done for Israel. So they, they did. After Joshua did this great thing, they, as long as those people were alive, they remembered and they lived up to their promise. But then... 
that leads us to the place of Judges in the story of Gideon. Will you pray with me? Just that in three quick glimpses of doubt, questions, and wonderings out loud, we can see these interactions between a real God and a real person and how they might have something to do with our lives. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your faithfulness, that even when we have not been faithful, you have been faithful. You are faithfulness. You are goodness. And you are love. And for those of us that at some time in our life have experienced that and known it to be true, we know that nothing else will satisfy us. That we can look wherever we want. We can have as much freedom as we want to turn over every stone, but we will never find anything that satisfies us like you do. Lord, that's the prayer that I have for my children, that they would never find anything that would satisfy them so they would continue to look back to you, the one who gives us life and sustains us. Help us as we open up your word to see the things that you have for us. And Lord, I confess, I'm self-centered. And as I look at this, I think of stuff for me, where it's for me, about me, from me. We just throw it away. But if you have anything for these people tonight, open their ears and give them something that will stick with them that they can own. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, you know, um, Judges is an incredible book. And I'm going to be honest, it's a violent book. It's a little bit interesting. And so for those of us, you know, I've, I said to you, I've raised boys for a long time. And so um, I thought that it might be really good Bible bedtime stories, the book of Judges. You know, like in the children's Bible version. But if we had the brick testament like Janie had last week and you saw the pictures of some of the stuff that happened Judges, you'd go, dude, don't make Legos do that. Okay, because it's just, it's a little bit violent. But here's why. What's happening in that time is that... Um, People are growing up in this generation where they're living without God. And the slide that I have next says this. After the whole generation had been gathered to their fathers and and to their mothers, another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what he'd done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors who brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. They aroused the Lord's anger. Now, I'm not brilliant, but I don't think that's a very good idea. But here's what I know. That interesting to me there, it makes sense. You could say, well, sure, that they grew up neither knowing the Lord nor what the Lord had done for Israel. But I have to ask this big question. Why? Why is it that the generation in between them and the ones who lived faithfully with God forgot to tell the next generation about the God who had shown up? about the God who had rescued them, about the God who had always kept his part of the deal. That, my friends, is human nature. We forget to acknowledge where God has been in our life. When an individual forgets to acknowledge where God is, they leave themselves open to kind of looking anywhere else for meaning and purpose in life. When a whole group of people do it, there's going to be a backlash. It's not going to be the same for their children as it was for them. Because they forgot to acknowledge God. That's something you never want to do. In good times and in bad, you need to remember to not forget. There's a note you can keep. Remember to not forget. Maybe like just put it in your phone, an alarm, to wake up and remember God's faithfulness. You think it sounds kind of crazy, but the the amazing deal is you can go through a whole day and get yourself to the end of the day and kind of go... I I never once acknowledged that God was in the middle of this day, that he started it with the sun rising, that the people who interacted with me are children of of God Most High. I went through a whole day and didn't acknowledge 
that I'm a totally spiritual being. Don't forget. Remember to acknowledge who God is in season and out of season. The summary of this whole book is found in Judges chapter 21, verse 25. And it says this. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. This reminds me of the movie Where the Wild Things Are. You know, that just as Max is sitting there, let the wild rumpus begin. I mean, this, this sounds really good, and it reminds me of a lot of stuff that I remember from college. But, though good play and excitement and just kind of letting some steam off can be a great thing, to live entirely in a place where there's no rules and no boundaries, I actually think is completely unhealthy, and after a while, we'll grow weary of it. We need someone to remind us the way that we ought to go. And you're in this place, again, where there's nobody to tell you what time to go to bed or to really study. I mean, seriously, you can make it through at least a quarter. You can make it as far as it is till if you're on scholarship, someone says, we will give you no more money. Or if you're not on scholarship, your parents say the same thing. You can make it that far, but that far could be too far. In just a quarter, in just a few short months, with enough freedom and without remembering that God's the only one that can satisfy. You can find yourself in some places that you don't want to be. It starts out as freedom, but it doesn't feel like freedom when you're stuck in places of your own doing. I built this hill of regret in the first three months of my time at college that absolutely impacted my life. And probably over the next couple times you get to hear me share, I'll share a little bit maybe tonight. But to just let you know, the message has a really good ending. It didn't stop there. But I found myself in great trouble. I found myself hugely regretting some of the things that I'd done, the people that I'd hurt. I found myself doubting whether or not God could ever love me. But God, though I was unfaithful, was faithful to me, kept his promise. And so my life was changed. So that's the good news. I might bring you through a bit of the bad news tonight. So anyhow, we find ourselves where each one wants to be king. And... Um, that, as you can see, could be leave a person in a difficult time. And let's take a look at what happened with one person who grew up in that era. And his name was Gideon. Um, if you take a look at the next slide, it says this. The angel of the Lord came down and sat down under an oak. And I'm just going to say Oprah. That's a beautiful thing. That um, be- belong, And I'll just kind of move through a little bit quickly. The angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, who was hanging out in a place, doing something that he wouldn't normally do in that place. He was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Why is that? Because in the book of Judges, over and over, this whole thing of everyone did, which was okay in their sight. You know, there was no king. So they, they did as they saw fit in their own sight. God gave them over to it. It's not that God stopped loving them. God just says this after a while. I absolutely love you, but I won't force you to love me back. And if you want to look somewhere else for life, you can go and do that. But it's not going to lead to good things. God had told them, commanded them, do not adopt the customs of the lands that you're living in. Just a brief aside, I hope this doesn't cut too close for some of you. In three weeks, at whatever university you're studying right now, it's quite possible that you've completely abandoned some of the formative beliefs that you had growing up. Some of the things that you said, I'll never do this or I'll always do this. You may have already begun to adopt the customs of a strange and foreign land. I'm just saying, it's none of my business to tell you how to live, but be doing that with your eyes open, because there can be a cost to that. 
there was a cost. And so the Midianites, whom um, God had given um, the, the people of Israel really to have authority over, not to adopt their customs, they now were ruling, again, over these people. They would come and they'd steal their food, and so he's threshing wheat in a place where he would hide it from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Anything funny about that statement? Gideon has not yet been a warrior. Gideon hasn't done anything. But what you might find to be true, I have found most of my life, that what's more important than what we think about ourselves or say about ourselves is what God says to be true about us. And the angel of the Lord said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And this is the first act of extreme doubt for Gideon in three acts. The first one, he says this, But sir... If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all those wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? He probably said it like that. But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. By the way, it's not true. He's creating his own history. The Lord didn't abandon them. They abandoned the Lord. But you know what? The God of the universe can handle your doubt, even if you kind of turn history on its ear a little bit and rewrite, rewrite it so it makes you look good. Because the angel of the Lord didn't lash out at him there. But listened. Do you know that the God of the universe will listen to you as well? That even when you have great doubt? Because what I think really sums up that portion of doubt for Gideon was this. It's really angry questioning. I don't like where my life is right now. And you could sum up his questioning with a whole line of thinking that says this. Where were you, God, when this happened? Where were you when fill in the blank? God, where were you when I was alone? When my parents divorced? When my friends deserted me? God, where were you when I made that horrible decision? You can understand where Gideon's coming from. We wonder, even when we made the bad decision, God, why did you let me do that? Where were you? And God can handle that. Do you know that God can handle your questions and your doubts? God can even handle your anger toward him. I'm not making this up. I met a couple last night in Spokane. I spoke at a Young Life banquet there. Their daughter gave a testimony. I went up to talk to them afterwards. I said, God bless you. This must have been an amazing year. Because their daughter shared about losing her brother on June 21st of this year. He was killed in a jet ski accident. I talked to these wonderful godly people that said, in the same sentence, it's been hell. And God's been good. How do you get to that place? I think you don't get to a place where you can both say, this is the most terrible thing that's ever happened, but God has been good, unless you're authentic in your doubt and your angry questioning of God. And God will not turn you away. Because their brokenness was evident to him before they ever brought it up. But what can God do when they finally come and say, why, why did you let this happen? And I don't think he nitpicks. Allow, let, make happen. He just says, I love you. And here's the interesting thing. If you're here tonight with some unresolved anger or a feeling that God has let you down or left you in some place, it's this weird deal. I can't force you to do it. I'm just telling you. The tricky thing is this. God can handle your anger, and he's the only one that can truly comfort you. It's this weird deal if you're angry at God because you want to run from him. But God says, bring your anger, bring your doubt, bring your questions to me. God can handle your questions. And change your story. And that's what really happens here. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's head. Am I not sending you? 
But Lord Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. If he were running like for public office, what a great speech. I'm horrible. My people are horrible. And among them, I am the weakest. <laughs> really what he's saying is, don't, it's another form of questioning to God. What he's saying is, what do you think he's saying? Choose somebody else. God, you're picking the wrong one. But God knows better. And so they continue on. The Lord answered this and said, I will be with you. You know what? Um, I think my two favorite words in the whole Bible, definitely in the New Testament, are this. With and in. When God says, no matter what happens for the rest of your life, I'll be with you. Even to the end of the age. That's comforting. And when God says the mystery which has been kept hidden for all the ages but is now made known to everyone is this. Christ not near you, not by you, not over you, but Christ in you. The hope of all the glorious things to come. If God is with us and Christ is in us, it changes everything. And it did for Gideon. It was enough. He actually said, okay. Here's the deal. If I found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it's really you talking to me. Not a bad idea, because you could have been imagining. And he says, don't go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. That's a pretty cool thing. Actually, he said, God, wait. And God, God's like, okay, I'll wait. And he came back with this offering, and I'll just kind of zip through that portion. But basically, he took this offering, and he laid this meat in front of him. And here's the most important thing, and this is why God received the offering. He took the offering that Gideon and all the other people were giving to other gods, and he brought it to the right God, laid it before the God of the universe, and God was pleased with the sacrifice. And he zapped it up and kind of burned the meat there, and then Gideon went, oh, it's really you. And that same night, this slide just basically sums up, is that what he did is he went out and did something that God asked him to do. And he did so with a little bit of fear. He went out and he knocked down all the altars to the gods that they were worshiping and built a true altar to God. But it says, really interesting, it says in the last, in verse 27, because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at, right, at night rather than in the daytime. There's some biblical scholars who have questioned the faith of Gideon because he did it at night. If he really believed, wouldn't he have done it at daytime? Do you know what? I think God can handle it when you only mostly believe. Like when it's like not fully there, but enough to go... I'm going to try this. God said, I'll be with you. I'll go with you. And God was pleased. God accepted what Gideon did as a form of worship. Why? Because God has always said that we can worship no other gods but him. God is a jealous God. Those two verses, every good Jew would know. You shall have no other gods before me. Even Jesus quotes it. And in Deuteronomy, everyone would know this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. But it starts with whatever strength you have. Gideon doubted, but believed a little bit. And that was a sacrifice that was acceptable to the God of the universe. Then, if you take a look at the next slide here, that's my little boy, Cole. And I love this because Cole's seven years old and... He is, he's a wonderful guy, and he's like, he's a stick skinny kid. And when J.D. was his same age, there's a story that just totally reminds me of what happened next to Gideon. I'm just going to kind of wrap up with this. 
Gideon began to believe that he could do the things that God said he could do. He was only mostly believing. He still had questions. He still had doubt. But he was following after God. And they even gave him a nickname. He's like the guy who can beat Baal. So once you get a nickname, maybe you got a tattoo, I'm not sure. But he just started to believe, hey, I can do a bunch of stuff. And it's not really true. Who was the one doing the stuff? God. God reminds us that without him, we're nothing. We were at this place called Malibu. And my son, J.D., who's now 6'5", was exactly that height, looked exactly like that. And he used to mumble things all the time. It was absolutely hilarious. Cracked us up all the time. He used to walk around and say stuff. And he said funny stuff. So I tried to listen to him all the time. So he was walking around behind the side of the pool once. And he walked by these kids and he had, he had uh, water wings on. You know? And so, you know, if you've ever seen a skinny kid with water wings, they kind of look like biceps, like guns. And so he was doing this. Like every kid does it, just kind of doing that, you know, and walking around and kind of going, man, I'm huge. So he walks by, he walks by these kids. I'm talking, I'm the speaker at camp. He walks by these three kids that I'm talking to on the side of the, of the pool, and I hear him say this. They don't hear it because they're not, you know, they're not knowing that you should listen to the mumbles of JD. But he walks by and he says this. Am I tough enough to push you in? Yes, I am. (laughs) He's like that. He's like that size, right? And I just start cracking up. I can't remember what they were saying, but they're like, I'm just like laughing my head off. You know, it's just like, dude, you kill me, okay? But it's not true. Nor was it true that Gideon, who now had a nickname, who had now had accomplished something, who had the people rally towards him that if he went out on his own power, that he'd be able to accomplish anything. And in the next couple of instances, as Gideon interacts with God, God reminds him of that gently, that if I go with you, you'll have success. If you go on your own, you won't be able to make it. But Gideon doubts again. And it says this, his next slide says this, Gideon said to God, if you'll save Israel by my hand as you've promised, could you just show me? Again, he's walking in doubt, but this is a different kind of doubt. The first doubt was, God, I doubt you even exist. Where have you been my whole life? Why would I follow you? Anger and doubt at God. The second one is this. He's starting to feel publicly like he's got it together. But privately he's saying this. I'm still not sure. You're asking me to do this incredible thing. And I think it's actually kind of cute. Like a kid with a loving parent. To just say, do you mind if I uh, just ask you, if you're really with me, will you do this? If you... Again, if you ever have the, just the joy to have children, your kids will sort of say, are you there? You know, like if they're afraid of the dark. Are you still in the hall? Yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me? Yeah. I'm going to sleep now. Did, did you hear that? You know, they just want to kind of make sure your presence is there. This next two slides, this one and the next one. Go ahead and go to the next one. They're really kind of silly, sort of childish. It's this. God, don't be angry with me, but can I make this one request? And it's this thing that many of us have heard. It's just like, well, I'll leave this this fleece out, and if it's really you, then can you make the fleece, the first one was we make the fleece wet and all the ground around it dry. And then it's like, oh, that was pretty cool. Then, now, don't, don't, don't be mad at me, God, but if it's really you, if you're really there in the hall and I don't need to be afraid, could you make the fleece dry and let the ground be do? Sure, God can do that. It's wonderful. And God does it. You know what? It doesn't matter how insignificant it may seem to each one of you what your doubt is or it doesn't matter to anyone else. The God of the universe will take time to listen to your story and understand just how you need to be encouraged. The final thing that happens in this is that God does something incredible. He takes them out and they have this great victory. And, and Victor, I'm going to skip through the next couple of slides. So just pop, if you can pop to like 
yeah, go to that one. That's great. I'll sum that up. Go to the next one. That's super. Really fantastic. If you read well, that'd be great. And then, um, and, and here's, the, here's the final one. Go to the next slide. Oh, that was the last slide. That's good help. There, we covered it. Okay. No, uh, what happened is this, is that he led him out to this great victory. But just before the great victory, it says, it says to this, it says this incredible thing, that the Lord says to Gideon, he asks him, he brings out this, like 30,000 people, he goes, there's too many. Even though they're going to fight way more people, you need to cut it down. And he asks him to do crazy, crazy things. And Gideon does it because he believes, because God has said, I'm in the hall. You can trust me. And Gideon now believes. He gets him to the point where he says, make sure that the ones that drink like a dog go to war with them, which makes sense to me. If you're going to a battle, go with ones that drink like a dog. And so he's got, he's whittled it down to this small group of people. And then there's this interesting interaction that takes place. Gideon doesn't express a doubt. But God is one step ahead of him. It says this. Gideon, uh, God says to him, during the night, the Lord said to Gideon, get up and go down, against, go down to the camp because I'm going to give it into your hands. If you're afraid to go on the attack, go down to the camp and listen to what they're saying. It's really interesting. Gideon hasn't expressed a doubt, but God has anticipated that he might be fearful in his heart. Have you ever considered that in your own life? That instead of waiting up there, marking you down whenever you sort of look the wrong way or doubt or turn sideways and kind of go, man, that kid used to believe, now look at him now. That God is more willing to reassure you than you give him credit. That God is more willing to look into the doubt of your heart and say, I can show you why you'll never be alone. And this crazy story is God sends him down there to listen to this incredible dream. The guy just says this. I have had a dream tonight that this huge loaf of barley bread rolled into the camp and destroyed everything. And then his friend says, oh, that dream must mean that Gideon is going to conquer all of us. Sure, that's what it means. That makes a ton of sense. But here's the great thing. God told Gideon to go be, be within earshot to be encouraged. And it changed everything. Because the one who doubted that God existed, the one who said, are you still for me? Now God is initiating and saying, even though you may doubt tomorrow, know this. I'll never leave you. I've always been faithful to our covenant. Even when you've not been faithful, I've stood by you. And it made all the difference. Here's the deal. The fact that God anticipates, reassures us, does not grow weary of reminding us that he's worthy of our trust, that we should worship none other, causes me to believe more than on my own I would. When God meets us in doubt and encourages us to remember and not forget, to worship Him. And in that worship, to have intimacy with Him. It leads us to worship Him again and to remember His faithfulness. It's this wonderful cycle. If we remember God, we'll worship God. If we worship God, we feel close to God. If we feel close to God, we want to worship God and remember His faithfulness. It kind of sounds like a relationship to me. The relationship that God intended for each of us to have. So I close tonight. Here's what I want to do. Before your head hits the pillow, can you do two things for me? I want to turn doubt just slightly on its head a little bit. We've said this whole series, it's okay to bring your doubt to God. God can handle your doubt. Matter of fact, God invites you to bring the questions that you have, an authentic, honest question. God will not turn away. I'm just wondering this. Are there any other things in your life that you haven't doubted in a while that maybe you should? For those of you that were on the Steve Blacksmith plan for your first three weeks of college, when you said to God, I'll always follow you, and then within three weeks, you'd become a person that you didn't even recognize. 
What about, are there any things that you're giving yourself to? Things that you're filling your life with. Things that you're considering doing. That you know it's not God's best for you. Would you doubt at least one of those things for me tonight? Would you consider whether or not what God says for you, His plan is best? And the other thing that I would have you do is this. If you can just remember one time, one place, and for those of you who don't yet know the God of the universe, maybe it's just even tonight, one time when you thought, God was there, and I knew it. And don't forget that. Hold on to what you remember of God's faithfulness. God will carry you through the doubt, through the questions you have, not because of who you are, but because God is faithful and will keep his promise to you now and forever. Let's pray. God, I'm grateful for these folks and the fact that they could uh, take some time out of their studies tonight. I pray that you multiply the time that they have left to study for whatever they need to. I'm also grateful that there's a place for them to come. There's a community for them to ask questions. There's friends that they came with. I pray that you tie them together with someone that will help them remember to never forget you. And God, I pray, without judging anyone in this room, that you would just give some honest eyes for everyone in this room to take a close look at anything that they're running toward that really is just not worthy of their life. God, protect us from the things that we might run towards and hold our hearts close to you. We'll raise our Ebenezer forever to remind ourselves and the rest of the world that our God is faithful. In Jesus' name.